This is the Coach Brew Show. This is also the world's shortest podcast intro. Welcome, everybody, to the Coach Brew Podcast. Uh, you are listening to uh, I, the Almighty, your fearless leader, Coach Brew. And we are joined by a very special guest today uh, who is kind of uh, it's kind of like parallel universes, I guess you could say. Uh, very similar to uh, the other guest I had on the show, uh, Ed Molitor. Uh, this guest is Jamie Beckler, a former college coach like Ed and yours, Brutally, who has now uh, embarked on a very successful career as a speaker, professional speaker, coach, and author. Uh, he uh, kind of has taken the, the back roads of college coaching, much like myself, which is why we're kindred spirits. And uh, there are a lot of parallels to leadership in business and sports. Um that we both uh, are very like-minded on, and uh, that's also why I wanted to have him on the podcast. He is a super successful podcast himself called Success <laughs> is a Choice, and uh, we're going to jump into talking about that. We'll talk about his website, which is jamiebeckler.com, which you should go there. You should subscribe to his newsletter. He's uh, as great a podcaster as he is. He's uh, just as great uh, with the written word. And he's uh, released a fabulous new book that I have right here. It's called, oh, wait, that's mine. Never mind. Hold on. That is a heck uh, of a book right there. Yeah. It's called The Bus Trip. So uh, <laughs> I wanted to talk a little bit about that book. And then uh, also uh, this book, Building Champions, Success Principles from A to Z, is the other uh, element of the Coach Beckler Library, which I have, I think. Uh, for everyone listening, your personal library is incomplete without those books, and we'll talk a little bit about that too. So here I am, shamelessly promoting. Well, you, you only show two, right? I only show two. The leadership playbook. I gave my copy to someone, and they never returned it. So we well, can talk were, about that too. You were wanting to show this one only because right there on the back. Let me read the endorsement. Right there, John Brubaker. That's that's why you wanted to show that one. Uh, I endorsed this book, Building Champions, uh, Success Principles from A to Z. And here's what I had to say about it. I don't remember what I said, so I'm going to have to look it up here and read it. Warning, contents contain ingredients which lead to success. Do not purchase this book. Mission oh, accomplished. Just, just a dramatic pause, folks. Let me finish the sentence. Do not purchase this book if allergic to trophies, plaques, or championship rings. If that isn't the best freaking endorsement for a coach or an athlete to buy a book, I don't know what is. Yeah, in fact, I've used that endorsement in every book that I've endorsed since then. I've, I just figured that was just great. I might as well uh, just steal that. We don't call him cut and paste Beckler for nothing, folks. <laughs> <laughs> we don't. No, my English. How did you know? Did you did you talk to my English teacher about that? Yeah, a little uh, Snopes.com. So uh, no, uh, Jamie is uh, he's an original. He's a one of a kind. We just joke around about the R and D, which we agree most people in our business refer to as rip off and duplicate, not research and development. But, uh, you know, Jamie's one of a kind. He views uh, the world of sports through a very unique lens, the world of leadership through a unique lens. 
which is why I wanted to have him on the podcast. He's got a great academic and athletic background uh, at a variety of levels. I think success leaves clues. It's also a choice from what I hear, but it, it also leaves clues. And I just wanted to kind of unpack a little bit about, uh, you know, his unique lens and his unique philosophy on leadership and uh, just to help you guys learn a little bit uh, more about his career and his philosophy and uh, how that's yielded some fabulous results for him. So, Jamie, welcome to the Coach Brew Podcast. Hey, I appreciate it. Thanks for uh, having me on. I'm a big fan. Uh, I don't subscribe to uh, every podcast out there, but uh, when I do subscribe and when I do listen, I listen to the Coach Brew Show. So uh, uh, I'm honored to uh, be on the show. Always a pleasure to talk to you, sir. Uh, Jamie, let's let's get a little bit about your backstory, uh, you know, as you kind of progressed from, you know, college to career. I love to start there with people because it's amazing. You know, one of the common denominators is there's so many people who never work in the field that they majored in or, you know, aren't involved in an industry that they studied in college. And I just love to hear like a little bit about the journey. And, you know, how people uh, make a choice to go down one path versus the other or, uh, you know, choose to, uh, after a period of time, embark on just a completely new journey. I know you, I've done that and you've done that. And that's why we uh, are kindred spirits and get along so well. So take us back to the beginning. Yeah, well, um, uh, I was a, uh, a good athlete and I was a bad athlete growing up and I was a good coach and I was a bad coach throughout my career. So I kind of experienced it, it all in a way, which, which has kind of helped me, I think, uh, become a better leadership consultant or a better speaker, or, or when I work with teams, uh, I'm able to maybe see more sides than, than just somebody that, you know, wrote a book because they've won championships and all they've ever done is win. They don't, or, you know, a star player who they've only been a star. They don't know what it's like to be on the, on the end of the bench, you know, with the trainer in the water cooler as your two best friends. Yep. Um, you know, so I've kind of, I've lived both. Um, you know, at times I was a great athlete. At times I was a bad athlete and not playing much. And, and I've been coach of the year. I've also been fired. Uh, not on my birthday like you, but, but I have been fired. Um, you know, and uh, so, uh, you know, I think all those kind of things uh, play into what I'm doing now. Uh, I've had a couple pivots. Uh, career-wise, I went from being a men's basketball coach to a women's basketball coach. And, and at the same time, I, I mean, that was a pretty big pivot in and of itself, but that was my first head coaching job. I moved from Indiana to Texas. So a totally different culture shock, different gender, being a, a head coach for the first time. And then I you, also made a you, pivot. Uh, you switched genders? I, <laughs> I, uh, did I hear that right? I, uh, you did hear that right, but I switched genders that I was coaching. So gotcha. Uh, okay, yes. you can understand my confusion. Yeah, one set that record straight <laughs> well, and, uh, it, and clear things up. So it was a fun way for me to interrupt you because I had a real question. Which and here's the reason I asked this. I had a blast coaching my daughter's eighth grade uh, rec and school basketball teams this past year. Bless you. Uh, never coached girls before. Uh, which did you prefer, the experience of coaching college men or college women's basketball, and why? <laughs> well, I would have to say I, I enjoyed coaching women more because I coached them longer. Um, I stuck with them more. I didn't go back to the men's game, so it wasn't like I had buyer's remorse. I went into the women's game and then was like, you know what, enough of this. I'm going back to the men's game. Now, 
just because I might've enjoyed it more and had success there doesn't mean I always made the right decisions. Um, sure. I, I definitely had a lot to learn just like, uh, you and I have a lot to learn when we, when, when we entered marriage and yep. still every, every day in marriage. But, uh, you know, I, I think back to that very first year of coaching women and it's picture day. And when I say it's picture day, that means that's the day that the yearbook, that's the day that like the SI sports information director is going to come in and take pictures. Yep. Only the, the, the ladies on my team didn't know that only I knew that, you know? And so practice gets done and I'm like, all right, uh, we're going to take the picture in about five minutes, about five minutes from now, we're going to go ahead and take that picture. And you would have thought that I said every bad word in the book about their mama or whatever. I mean, it was a mutiny when I coach guys, simple. Hey guys, just take, we're going to take a picture. All right. Hurry up, coach. Hurry up. We got to get this done. Yep. It was not like that with at least my team of women. It's an event, right? It was. So, uh, I had to learn and I was like, all right, tomorrow we'll have, uh, you know, the two hours of picture time and then we'll have about 10 minutes of practice. And, uh, yeah. So, so I had to learn a lot of things when I coached women. Um, just like I had to learn a lot of things when I, when I got married, you know, you go through the premarital counseling with your pastor and it's like, okay, you taught us all the deep stuff, but you didn't teach us any of the real stuff that actually matters. Like, like don't leave your socks on the couch. Yeah. Yeah. Or, you know, uh, do you like the air conditioner on in the bedroom at night or not? Do you like the shades drawn a little bit so that light creeps in? Do you like a bigger pillow or smaller pillow? What do you like when you're driving in the car? You know, the real issues that actually lead to real arguments, you know, not the deep stuff, you know, the, yeah. you know, the theology and the, you know, just the love stuff, you know, that's over over here. The answer, the correct answer is I like for you to do all the driving while I sleep, honey. (laughs) That's the way it works on any long trip with me. I do all the driving. She sleeps. That's right. So I had to Um, learn. I had to learn. Yeah. So it's like culturally it's very different. You know, there are these gender differences. The thing I, I learned very quickly is, um, how much the team matters and uh, relationships matter more to women or girls than guys right out of the gates. Like with guys, it's like, we don't have to get along, but if we start winning, then we'll get along. And with girls, they better get along really well first, then they will start winning. If they don't get along well first, they ain't ever going to win. Yeah, and certainly it's complete opposites. Like men are from Mars, women are from Venus, and I don't know that it's all that different in the workforce. That's a great statement you just made there. I might make that into a book. Men are from you Mars, should. women are from That's Venus. So, it just sounds like it'd be a sounds, bestseller. Sounds like it'd be yeah. good, but but you know we're obviously painting with a broad brush because uh, you know there are there are individuals making up this team, and they're not all the <laughs> same. Um, but you know, in, in general you know, like I would be coaching men, let's say, or coaching women. And, you know, after the game, I'm in a locker room and I'm like, we have just got to take care of the ball better. You know, we, we can't turn this ball over and I'm trying to be we, 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 and, and here's this, you know, you know, uh, Whitney over in the corner. She's like, I don't know why coach is pointing me out. I don't know why coach keeps bringing up my turnover when I haven't brought up her turnover. She's just bringing that up because Chill out, she's, Whitney. Yeah. Chill Whitney. All right. Uh, you know, but, uh, you, you do that in a guy's locker room, you know, we got to take care of this ball better. We got to quit turning the ball over and and over there in the corner. Jalen's like, 
yeah, coach is right. Chris has got to take care of the ball better. Chris has got to not turn it over anymore. Yeah. Women internalize things way more. Yeah. And the guys are like, it's not my fault. It's never my fault. Um, now obviously painting with a huge broad brush there, but, uh, you know, in general, it doesn't matter if you're on the team, you know, you coaching your, your daughter's eighth grade team, or are you coaching your high level lacrosse players back when we're we're undefeated, by the way, I'm, I'm perhaps a far better eighth grade girls basketball coach than I ever was a college lacrosse coach. Two seasons, rec and school undefeated. Books should be written about you. I was the assistant, but still. It doesn't matter. Common denominator, baby. Two different head coaches, one assistant. (laughs) Yeah. Me. You know, (laughs) you are. This ain't just a hat rack up here, buddy. Well, and, and that's why you're Coach Brew. I mean, that's why you are you know, who you are. And that's why you have millions of, of, uh, loyal listeners and subscribers and, and you have a following he's, that rivals he's very talking few. about all 11 of you. Oh. Um, but seriously, like it is such a different experience coaching men and women, you know, we, we're joking around a little bit. It really is different. I think that that extends, you know, beyond the co- the basketball court and it's a lot of things. And, you know, if we take that approach where we're really in the relationship business, yeah, you know, that that changes things dramatically. So you well, went from, but but you're but you're right, and and uh, you know, even though you know we might say men and women are different in in who we're coaching, even and that's true, they are. But even within that team, even within like the fifteen young ladies that I would coach, you know, each one of them, they might even be from the same background, they might even be roommates, but they have different personalities slightly. You know, one of the first years of coaching, I put these two young ladies together. Okay, they're going to be roommates. You know, they're two uh, highly recruited. You know, I recruited them quite a bit. One yep. was really excited to get them. I thought that they were perfect for one another. Their person, like they seemed to mesh, or I thought that they would. You know, like on a, they checked all these boxes. So let's yep. put them together. Well, about one week, maybe a week and a half into the school year, I go and I'm like, you know. Uh, uh, you know, Shannon, how, how, how is it, you know, how is it rooming? And, and she's like, Oh, I just, it's terrible. I'm like, what do you mean? It's terrible. She goes, she's so bossy. And I'm like, bossy. And this was my first year of coaching women. I don't think in all the years of coaching men and playing with men on, on men's teams, my whole yeah. career, I don't think I ever heard the word bossy uttered one time. And um, here these two couldn't get along because they might have the same interest, but one was bossy and probably the other one was bossy too. They just didn't get their way all the time. So, exactly. so even if they are all women or even if they are all men and they all come from the same background, they still have different personalities. They still have different agendas, you know, or maybe it's the same agenda, but they, you know, yeah. we want to get our way and we can't get our way because someone else is getting in our way, their way. So that makes us upset. Yep. Yeah. Sometimes the same agenda is just a hidden agenda. Yeah. Yeah, and they just the other doesn't know. But uh, so you went, you made the transition from coaching men to women. What was the next step for you? Yeah, that I coached uh, women both unsuccessfully and successfully for a, a little bit, and uh, I actually became a head coach at age twenty-seven and uh, NCA head coach at twenty-seven. And my goal was actually thirty-two. That was kind of my my the goal that I'd written down, but uh, I was able, fortunately, to to do that well in advance, and so. Um, Four well, years later, did uh, you feel that was a good thing? Because I was head coach, yeah. division youngest division one head coach 
in the country at age 26. And like, that didn't matter to me. I just, I just wanted to be a head coach. I thought I was ready. Uh, you know, I quickly realized how unprepared, how grossly underprepared I was. And I feel like if, you know, maybe five, seven, eight, ten years later, uh, that would have happened for me. I probably would have been better off. You might've been better off, but I don't think that, I don't think that you're ever fully ready to oh, be no. a head coach. Yeah. It's like marriage. You're never fully ready to be a husband. You're just maybe more prepared than you would be at another time and place. Um, you know, the older you are, the more experience you might have, but you're not fully ready. And just because you have that experience doesn't mean that you're necessarily better off. You know, we've all been around those seniors that are really just fourth year freshmen. Um, so even if you've coached for 10 or 12 years, 15 years, doesn't mean that you've taken those experiences or, or you've prepared better. It's just a theory. But, you know, I do appreciate how you one-upped me. I said I was 27, and then you had to throw in that you were 26. So I, I do appreciate that. I, I noticed that. And, and that's, why, that's why you had the followership and the, the brand that you do, because you're big time. I didn't want to say it, but I'm glad you did. Yeah, I, you know, I appreciate uh, that. But, uh, um, you know, I, I did feel like my hard work had been vindicated. I felt like, all right, I'm on the path that, I, that everything I was doing was working out. Um, Good. And so I'm, I'm this head coach, 27. And then four years later, uh, they allow me to go be a coach somewhere else. Um, that's code for something, folks. If yeah, you I, got, I got resigned. Yeah. Um, that's not, also code. Not re-signed. Yes. Resigned. Yes, Spelled I, same, totally different meaning. Absolutely. I got resigned, which means they allowed me to resign before they would fire me. Um, so I got resigned. Um, I went and was an assistant coach, uh, won a championship as an assistant coach. And one year later was a head coach again, um, at the age of 31. And so, uh, I was 31 when I got my second head coach. That happened to me too. I was 30. You were 30. (laughs) (laughs) So if you're keeping, if you're keeping track at home, I'm essentially twice as good as most people at achieving my goals because I achieved my goal twice. Um, I was a head coach twice before I was the age of 32. So I just shattered that goal. Um, so, so I, I probably should write a book about achieving goals cause I, I do that well, but, uh, I coached for a while, uh, women's basketball and, uh, had, had a good deal of success doing that. And uh, it was fun, enjoyed that. But I had this crazy idea that I wanted to be an athletic director. So I made the pivot to go be an athletic director. Um, I actually went to a high school, fifth largest gym in the country for high schools, uh, seated 7,000. No boys basketball program has won more state titles in Indiana than the school I went to. And so, uh, you know, 22 varsity programs, we had a big athletic program. They were way in debt. And we... For people who don't know, Jamie, like if you're, if you have a basketball program in Texas, you're coaching basketball, uh, you oversee it as an athletic director in Indiana, I should say, as an athletic director, it's kind of like basketball is to Indiana as football, high school football is to Texas. Absolutely. It's that same sort of Friday night lights vibe and feeling. And it's every small town in that little state, isn't it? Yeah. Well, they, I mean, yeah. it's almost like they could make a movie about it. Could You should do that. When you, after Hoosiers? you write, after you write men are from Mars, women are from Venus. My idea. Uh, you do a movie about small town basketball in Indiana. The Indiana, the Indiana basketball, they, uh, they call themselves the Hoosiers. So maybe, maybe 
do something about who you're perfect. Yep. Yeah. So, so uh, we fifth largest and you're largest. the AD and coach or just AD. No, I'm just the AD. Okay. Um, you're the but, CEO of the fifth largest gym in the state. I, I am program. Um, but, uh, just to give your listeners a, uh, there were three people in our school district that had three year contracts, the superintendent, the football coach and the basketball coach, not the athletic director. So, uh, that was, that was interesting. So, uh, but you know, you, uh, uh, I got to be real good friends with the basketball coach and, uh, that was, it was a great experience there, but, uh, made that pivot out of coaching, went into being an AD. And then, uh, after a couple of years there, we'd done a lot of, a lot of cool things, both with student leadership and with essentially, uh, getting them out of debt and getting them fiscally, uh, sound, as a school or as an athletic department, then I pivoted out of there and went into business full-time for myself and became a leadership consultant and essentially just what? speak and work with people across the country. What um, year did you do centers. that? 2006, you 2016. Okay. And how's that transition been for you? It's uh, We talk all the time offline, you know, like we've talked all yeah. the time about parallels, but I think people would love to know, you know, it, what... It, yeah, it's a great... It, it's been... It's been great, um, but there was so much to learn. There was there was such a big learning curve. Like my first couple of years, I felt like I was a grad assistant again. You know, yeah. I started off my career at Kent State University, Division One, men's basketball graduate assistant, and I felt like my first two years was being a GA of being an entrepreneur. Like yep. the speaking part was relatively easy. Like getting up in front of thousands of people is relatively easy. Putting together a speech is relatively easy. Even writing a blog post or, you know, the content part is fairly yep. easy. The hard part is learning how to make it a business is, mm -hmm. is duplicating your, your salary, you know, or your retirement, your, your investments, all that kind of stuff. Or, Hey, if you're not working today, you know, no one else is working for your business either and, and yeah. getting sources of income and how to market yourself and all that. And I still haven't, you know, achieved, I still haven't mastered it. Certainly. Um, um, yeah, I think that's the I'm, challenge, you know, not just in what we do, but any uh, entrepreneur, like I always say, you're really, okay, let's say you're an entrepreneur who owns, um, I don't know, let's say you own a uh, beekeeping business and you sell, you have a store like, where you sell beekeeping supplies and things. Um, that's not really the business you're in. You're a marketer first. You're a marketer of that pro those products and that service and the store and, and, you know, what you teach, you know, aspiring beekeepers. And then when the marketing is done and you've driven enough people through the doors, create enough demand, then you're in quote that business. Uh, and I think that's where a lot of uh, people who do what we do, or even just business owners in general, um, struggle is they don't realize the business we're really in. You're a marketer first, and then you're that other thing with whatever time you have left. And kind of longer we do this, like you start out, and probably eighty percent of your time is marketing, twenty percent is speaking, and you know. Um, selling books and that kind of thing, consulting. And then the longer you do this, the more it skews in the other direction. But yeah, I think that's where a lot of people get tripped up, myself included, you know, in the early stages as well. Yeah. And, and, you know, each of those, each of those subcategories, you know, marketing, content creation, sales. Um, and those are, those are kind of, 
the three main areas, but, but each of those is a full-time gig in and of itself. Um, you know, and if you're neglecting one of them, then your business isn't as healthy. I mean, you can, you can create the best content. You can have the best insights in the world. You could give people the secrets of life. Yeah. The booster, you know, but you could have the secrets of life, you know, that everybody's going to get rich. Everyone's going to be healthy, but if you don't market yourself, no one's going to know that. Or if you don't ask for the sale, well, then you might die with the secrets of life because you're, sure. you're starving to death, you know, or, you know, you're homeless because you're not making any money off of that. Um, so each one of those things is difficult to achieve in and of itself and then put them all together. And it, it's very difficult. And that was stuff that I didn't really understand and, and know when I first started off. And people ask me all the time, what would be my advice? And, and almost always the biggest thing I give them is don't quit your day job. If, unless, uh, unless it's absolutely necessary, if, if you don't have to quit your day job right away, don't quit it until you have an exact plan for how you're going to duplicate your, your income, uh, your retirement, and how you're going to move forward with your business, not just financially. Already have an audience. Yeah. Yeah. Do it as a side hustle, like work that stuff for a year or two years, three years, set aside all this money, this rainy day fund. Um, for the downturns, because like as a coach, you know, I, I mean, as a coach, even the years I wasn't very good, my, my paycheck is still coming on Friday. Oh, yeah. I'm still getting renewed most of the time, you know, Hey, we'll give you another year. Or if I go on vacation for a week, you know, maybe somebody else does the recruiting or maybe it's in the off season and I can go a week without really doing my yep. job. When you're only, when you're a, a, an entrepreneur, you know, no one else is doing it really. Um, And so that's stuff that you have to put systems and processes in place. And that's stuff I didn't know. So in my first couple of years, you know, we're going through our savings like that while I'm, you know, essentially paying, paying a a learning tax. I'm paying tuition. Oh yeah. Great uh, way to put it. Learning tax. Yeah. Um, Well, Dave Ramsey, the financial guru, you know, he talks about stupid tax and I feel like I pay a stupid tax all the time with, with dumb things like, you know, all these free trials that end up turn into, you know, sure. hundreds and $200 monthly bills. Cause I forget I had the trial, but you know, the stupid tax stuff, but learning tax. And so uh, we have to learn as, as entrepreneurs, the business side of it as yeah. well. We all want to just talk and we all want to, com- you know, create content, but we have to learn the business side or else we'll be back in a nine to five pretty quick. And a lot of people say, Oh, I'd love to have your job. That sounds so fun and easy. And you get to you know be your own boss and go on vacation as much as you want. And when you want, like, I was just talking with uh, another podcast guest about this. Like, yeah, you'd love to have what you think is my job. You wouldn't love to have my reality. You know, it might look good on the outside, on the surface, but there's a reason we're, we don't keep a normal schedule and we work early in the morning, late at night. We're tired. You know, sometimes we work weekends. They don't see that, you know, they just see, you know, the guy on the stage or, you know, you signing their book or whatever it might be. And it it looks real attractive on the outside. They don't have to. Yeah. You know, they don't uh, have to walk the walk. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think a lot of like type A personalities or high level thinkers or people that aren't afraid to work. 
they look at being an entrepreneur as, because I was the same way. They'll look at it as, well, I can do that because I've been working hard my whole life. You know, I put in these long hours. I'm invested. It's not just a job. It's my life. So Mm -hmm. yeah, I can be an entrepreneur, but what they, like, as hard of a worker I was as a college basketball coach, the reality is I didn't have to work as hard as I did sometimes. Like I was always working, but if I took time off, it would be okay. As an entrepreneur, I stress and I work more hours than I've ever done in my entire life because if I'm not doing it, it doesn't get done. And not only if I don't get it done today, do I not get paid today? But if I don't do it today, I don't get paid sometime in the future either. Like if you want to get paid a year from now, then you better be doing something now. Um, Yeah, if you like, you know, trivial things like sleeping indoors and eating more than once a day, (laughs) <laughs> if that matters to you and, and having your family sleep indoors and eat more than once a day, you better work your ass off. Yeah. You know, my son, my son, it's crazy. He, he wants to eat SpaghettiOs and not just, you know, pasta rings in a can. Yep. And he wants to wear Nikes and not just some knockoff brand from Walmart and a crazy kid. I know. And he wants to live indoors. Um, so in order to do that, then I better provide for him. Yep. And so I got to work my tail off. And I also have to work smart too, because, you know, this goes back to this old book or not real old, but the four hour work week, you know, and there's certainly <laughs> some flaws. Started. Yeah, I know. I know. But there's certainly some flaws to that, but there's, but there's also some good concepts in there. And one of the concepts Tim Ferriss had was, you know, essentially if, if, if you knew you were, if you knew you only had two hours to work today, let's say you have a heart condition or your yeah. health condition only allows you to work two hours today or, you know, whatever, what would you actually do today? If you absolutely had to get only one thing done today, what would you do? Well, when you're working a nine to five and, you know, people are forcing you to spend needless hours in an office, yep. you don't think in terms of that. When you're a coach working 15 hour days, 16 hour days, but you're really elongating it. Like you don't have to be there the whole time you know, you, you create stuff to fill that time. When you're an entrepreneur, every phone call you make, every hour that you're doing, I mean, every hour you're working, every task that you're doing has to have an end game. Like that has to be a a direct correlation to what you're trying to accomplish or else you literally are wasting time. Is this, or is this not a revenue producing activity? Yeah. And if it's not a revenue, then it better be, you better see how it's going to produce revenue or, you know, you can't just take and, you know, podcast wise, like it's easier for me to get a basketball coach or a football coach or an AD to come on my show. If I ask them, than it is to get some business person or an entrepreneur because they understand the value of, even if it's just 30 minutes, they understand that 30 minute time block. Yeah. 30 Um, minutes worth five grand to them. Yeah, it it might be Um, because they're always comparing. All right, if I spend this amount of time doing this, I could have been doing this. Um, You know, and so that's stuff I didn't understand as a basketball coach um, that I now understand as an entrepreneur. Yeah, it's uh, it's just a different animal. Any any way you slice, I think that you know if you're a grinder, you're a type A personality, high achiever, like you mentioned and you're predisposed to that, it definitely helps you, uh, especially in the early stages of being a business owner and entrepreneur, because you're not, you're not allergic to hard work and long hours. Right. Uh, you just need to make sure you're working smarter, not just harder. 
Well, yesterday, I mean, just yesterday, all right, I'm going out golfing. Um, I love to golf. And I'm talking with the owner of this golf course that I really like. And we're talking about a seasonal membership. We're talking about getting a membership for the rest of the year. He's like, this is a great deal. We can prorate that. And I'm like, man, I want to do it. I have the money. I could do it. And then I'm like, okay, but is this going to do anything for me? Mm-hmm. Like, can, can I devote, like to get my worth out of it, I would have to go golf more than I'm golfing now, but I would be able to golf whenever I want. But for those two to four hours that day, depending on how many holes I golf, what am I getting out of that? Now, if I'm going out with clients, that's I was a just different say, story. Yeah. The, the answer is depends who you're bringing with you. Yes. But, but the reality, I have to then evaluate me and who I am and what I will use it for. It will be me going out by myself while my wife's at work, yeah. I will go out and do that instead of doing stuff that makes money for our business. And even though that's something I want to do, I really want to do it and I can afford it. It's not something that I really can afford in the long term right Later. now. Yeah. yeah, because my time, I, I'm not going to be filling that time. It's going to be needless time. It's like just sitting around watching Netflix. Yeah. So if you're listening to this, first of all, you're listening to Coach Brew Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. Secondly, we're all in that story Jamie Beckler just described. You know, is how are you using your time? You're either wasting it, spending it, or investing it. Bringing a client or a potential client with you, golfing like that, investment. Yep. Going by yourself is spending borderline wasting. Not going at all after scratching a check for seasonal membership. Definitely <laughs> wasting it. Right. But, you know, and we all have that thing. It might be like, you know, belonging to the yacht club, uh, golf, country club, tennis, whatever it might be. We all kind of have that thing. Like it it could really serve us well if we're very intentional about how we use it and when we use it. Or, you know, it could be our it could be our nemesis. Really, we could we would be our own worst enemy. Uh, That would just be the delivery mechanism by which we are our own worst enemy. Right. So what would you decide? I decided against it. Um, you know, I probably go once a week as a diversion, as, as entertainment, and then I won't get much better. I'll be frustrated because I could be better if I played more, but then what would that get me in the long run? And so I'm all for entertainment and I'm all for, you know, even spending money on entertainment, on needless, mindless entertainment, as long as it has a place. But if that becomes something you're doing all the time, then, then you're really, you know, unless you're retired or unless you're really wealthy and you don't need to really work on your business anymore, which most of us aren't, um, because most of us, our lifestyle, you know, rises with our income. So we might be making a lot of money, just like pro athletes. We, we say all the time, well, they're stupid for wasting all, you know, they're making millions a year and, you know, how are they bankrupt? Well, because you're looking at it from your prism of, well, I only spend this amount of money on my you know, this is the house I would live in. Yeah, but you would rot. Your your yeah. lifestyle would rise. And so I have no problem with doing extra stuff, um, doing entertaining stuff, but you got to keep, you know, it, it's what we would tell our athletes all the time, what you probably told your athletes when you were coaching, but, you know, what is most important to you should matter more than what you want now. You know, that's yeah, I discipline. Said, I, I said it a little differently, Jamie. You know, I like to quote uh, great, philosophers from before my era. Uh, So I often would quote the great American philosopher, Ice Cube. Of 
course. And I would tell my players, I tell my clients this now, you check yourself before you wreck yourself. And that might be your rap lyrics, but there's so much truth to that statement because it's about like, I, I don't pretend to know like the deep hidden underlying meaning of a rap song, but in my mind, that's about self-awareness and knowing when, like you did with the golf club, uh, the country club, know when to say no, knowing yourself well enough to know this would not serve me well. I'm not going to do it. Well, you most know? of us don't do that. And, and like, I think I have pretty good self-awareness. And Gary V will talk about self-awareness is a pretty important thing. But then again, if you think you're self-aware, then maybe you aren't really self-aware if you're delusional thinking that you're self-aware. But anyways, and I for like him dropping F-bombs with every single audience you're in front of reveals a level of a lack of self-awareness. But he's keeping it, he's keeping it real, though. He's keeping it real. Um, but I like to look at myself honestly, and I probably overthink things too much, and I probably look at way too many angles sometimes, but, but I want to know my strengths and weaknesses. Um, it doesn't mean I always make the right decision, but I, I think I have a pretty good grasp on my strengths yep. and weaknesses. I might not admit them publicly, but inside, my inter- internally, I know a lot of stuff that, that is not good. I know that if I get a country club member or a golf club membership, I know that my thought process will be, I don't want to waste that money. So I'm going to go out and golf often because I want to make sure that number one, I'm getting better um, at golf, but number two, that I'm not letting that membership go to waste. And so that's me. I know that that's what I would do. Yeah, for so, me, uh, go ahead. Oh, and, and, and so since I know that, and since I can be honest with myself, then I look at it and say, even though that'll be a great deal, it's not really a great deal because what I want most in my life is not to break 80 every time I go out and golf. That's something that, that I would like to do, but that's not what I want most. What I want most is to, is to be able to provide for my family in a way that we can take vacations where I'm not worried about my business at all for that week or two weeks, because the business, the process, the systems are in place. We have enough money coming in. I don't have to worry about missing one or two weeks. That's what I want most in golf. A membership doesn't get me closer to that goal. Well, you just described what's wrong with uh, just about everybody in society today. um, Who's not performing at a high level. They give up what they want most for what they want right now. And we've become an instant gratification society to a fault. And a lot of people would like to say that it's because of these devices. <laughs> yep. No, it's because of how you deploy them, how you use them. You know, it's a smartphone. Uh, most of the time, the person using it isn't. But like, we don't give up what we want right now knowing we want to work towards what we want most. And it's a scary thing because uh, this instant on-demand society, we're creating a generation of people who uh, don't understand delayed gratification. And uh, as a result are lacking that self-awareness that we just spoke of. So it's, uh, it's definitely an interesting time. And yeah. uh, And and when I, when I work with teams, you know, we'll go out, I'll work with teams. That's one of the biggest things that we're trying to, to get those teams to understand is that it's a process. And I know that that gets thrown out there a little bit too much sometimes, trust the process or it's a journey, but it really is true in a way is how are you going about your day to day to ultimately reach the goal that you want to reach? And, you know, with a sports team, 
you know, you're going to have ups and downs throughout the season, but you're keeping your eyes on that goal of what's most important to you. How, how are, how are we going about getting to that goal? And, you know, I had a player once that, you know, she told me in, in an in a end of the season evaluation meeting, coach, next year, I just want to win a championship. That's, that's my only goal. That's what I care about the most. Um, and I said, well, you didn't care about that this year. She goes, well, yeah, I did. I said, really? She goes, yeah, that was, I, we just fell short, but that's the most important thing. I said, well, I know on two occasions you were at a party with teammates and they were doing drugs and you said nothing. And I know for a fact that that went on. So you weren't, your desire for a championship wasn't as important as your desire to be liked by your teammates and not cause any problems at that moment. Um, yeah, that, uh, that's kind of an exaggeration, not exaggeration, but that's an extreme example. But we do that all the time. We, we, we want our comfort, our short term comfort, or we don't want to ruffle feathers or, or we don't want to call somebody out or talk to somebody about something, or we don't want to, you know, I want to go to the beach all summer instead of, you know, working out if I'm a, a soccer player or a bath, you know, whoever you are, you know, you're making yeah. choices now that are going to affect you later on, but you don't, you don't care about that right now. Yeah. Our choices, uh, often define us and it's all these little ones, seemingly little ones in the moment that when you stack them up, they define you. And I think you, you bring up a good point when it comes to leadership is, uh, you kind of have to be willing to be a jerk sometimes and call people out on their BS and leaders aren't always liked. And she chose being liked by her friends and that on teammates on that occasion, as opposed to being a leader and, you know, making sure they weren't in that environment and they were making a better decision. And to do that, sometimes you got to be a jerk. Yeah. And, and her, in that situation, her decisions and the way she was acting wasn't, wasn't unusual. Like 99.9% of kids would do the same thing you know, they don't want to yeah. confront their teammates or their friends. So, so it's not just that, that she's unusual, but if you're going to publicly talk about, you know, this is most important to me, well, then your actions are betraying your words. Yeah. You better publicly walk about it. Yeah. Now, yeah. now I agree with you that, that leaders are going to have to make tough decisions. Sometimes I don't And I, I know you weren't saying totally that they have to be jerks, but sometimes all the time, but sometimes like, yeah, sometimes it's going to appear that they're a jerk because they're giving you information or saying things that you don't want to hear. Yep. But it's stuff that you need to hear. Um, One of my biggest things with, with what I think, where I think leadership fails in our, in our society now is that we're not, you had mentioned earlier relationships. We're not building enough relationship or more specifically, we're not building connections with people enough. We're too we're busy, not, right? We're, yeah, we're not building those strong bonds. So when we do have to have that tough conversation, those yep. difficult conversations, we don't have a strong bond or a strong connection already. And so it falls on deaf ears or that's when we appear to be a jerk. But, you know, you and I, you know, you might be able to tell me something, you know, on the phone when we talk offline that someone else couldn't tell me because I know that number one, you, you care about me. You don't have that a crazy agenda, but number two, we have a connection, we have a bond. Yep. So you can talk to me a little bit differently than somebody else might. And so as a leader, if you're in a position of leadership, your one of your goals should be to try to make a strong connection with as many people 
around you as possible so that when inevitably those difficult conversations yeah. or situations arise, then there's some respect there that you can, you can go to them and remind them of the standards or expectations. So here's what I'd like to do for a minute for our listeners is, uh, so let's pretend <laughs> that the person listening to this right now is a coaching client of yours. And they just told you, here's the challenge I'm having. Like I'm having a hard time, um, you know, verbalizing or articulating, you know, might, let's say my frustration with the decision some of these people underneath me are making, like the example of the player with her two friends at the party, like walk them through, you give them a little coaching on how they can navigate that situation better, successfully, what they should be doing leading up to that situation so that the message is actually well-received. Yeah. Two things, two things right away it is number one, this can't just be a, a one-off conversation. So this can't just be, all right, there's an issue with the people under me or the people around me or the people I'm in charge of. And so now all of a sudden I'm going to show them I care. It can't be a one-off type thing. It has to be a habit. It has to be a daily thing because, because they're not going to think in a one, like we, our tendency as people is to remember the positive things that we do. So it's, well, I remember that day I greeted them nicely when they came in the door or remember when I did this or this or this, like as a coach, uh, I would always say bad players. Remember the good things they do. Good players. Remember the bad things they do. You know, I don't know how many times I'd have a player say, coach, I don't know. Remember that time I blocked out. Remember that time I got that rebound. Well, the good players that do it all the time, they remember that one time they didn't block out and it costs their team a game. Yeah. So, but we tend to take the the side in our minds of I remember when I was nice to this person. I remember mm-hmm. the all these times when I was good. Well, that person doesn't necessarily see all those times, or it doesn't register. And so, the more you do it, if you're doing and it, and they the, hear it differently than you do, they yeah. can, they can, or maybe they didn't even hear it. Yep. What'd you say? Um, yeah, they might not even realize that you greeted them at the door, or you held the door open, or you brought in donuts for them, or you sent them a card. Uh, maybe their and wife you, got the card when you sent it you to the house. You might think that's a big deal, and they might think, "Man, that's that's the he's doing the bare minimum doing that," which is right? why you have to do it often. So, so first of all, you know the the old Chinese proverb: the best time to plant a tree is twenty years ago. The next best time is now. But I thought you know, Greta Thunberg said that. That's a Chinese proverb. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's funny. Um, yeah, that's a Chinese proverb. It came. Okay, it, there's, I learned there's, something today. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Chinese proverb. Um, uh, yeah. Anyways, but uh, yeah, you are planting seeds, and yeah, you better and, be watering them, right? Yeah, and so you know, if you want to have, like, if I'm a boss or you're my coaching client, and you want to have a better relationship or a difficult conversation with your employees, yes, starting now is better than never starting. But you don't start now so that you can solve today's problem. You start now so you can solve tomorrow's problem. Um, and that's what most of us don't do as leaders is yeah. as much as we might have vision statements and these five-year plans and stuff, we don't always think ahead about the people issues. All right. I know there's going to be a difficult conversation down the road, but I'm not preparing for that now. 
And so when we have this conversation, I'm not going to be any further ahead. And it's just going to come across as me being a jerk or me being in a position of leadership, the authority figure coming down on them. Um, so first of all, hey, you know, how are we connecting with people? How are we showing them that we care? How are we investing in their lives daily? Um, so how would then, you recommend someone do that? Yeah. Ask, I'd say it's someone in corporate America or business owner listening to this right now. All right, Jamie, where do I start? What do I do? I like yeah. what you're saying. I get it, but like, I just don't know where to start. I want yeah. to, I just don't know. Uh, this, this is going to sound really uh, kind of hokey or old school, but almost have an index card or almost have, you know, not like a big dossier or a big file like the CIA, but jot down a few notes about all your employees. You know, if they mention something that they went to a concert or they mentioned that they have family, oh, yeah, there you go. You know, fam- they went on a family vacation to Maine, you know, because it's the way life should be. Um, staycation land this summer. There you go. <laughs> so let's say that, you know, I love lobster. We went to Maine or, you know, we, my family's in Bar Harbor, you know, things like that. All right. Don't just make a mental note of that. Just jot it down because then that's something that you can, you can commonly refer to as a basketball. You can do this as a, in a, it's a scouting uh, report. Yes. You can so do you this. just described. Yeah. I did this with my wife, not at the start though. Um, which was really bad because our very first date, I took her to this really expensive seafood place to come to find out she hates seafood. That was, that was a stupid tax according and to she, Dave Ramsey. But you got really a expensive second chicken. date. You got a second date. I did. So then did we went something, to, right? <laughs> then we went to Arby's with coupons on our second date. Um, which charmer, my brother, my brother charmer. <laughs> Hashtag fiscally responsible. Yes. Um, hey, this is who I am. You there know, you love, let's get this out of the way early on. I'm going to use coupons. So get, kind of develop a scouting report on the person, you know, know absolutely. their likes, dislikes, you know, their family. But pets. one thing we did as a coach, yeah. as a coach, and, and you can do the same thing if you're a CEO, a manager, is every day of practice, let's say, there would be three players, three players that I was going to talk to informally they didn't know hey john this is your day you know hey lucky you today's your day i talk and connect with you no it just might be i come up to you hey man what'd you what'd you think of brady you know in free agency going to the buccaneers yesterday or hey you went to that drake concert or drake dropped a you know his one millionth album on itunes you know did you did you download it yet just something quick but you already know what you're going to say to them and it might just be a pat not not a brush by but it might just be when, when our players were just shooting free throws at the side yeah. or tying their shoelaces, it might be one or two minutes. Well, you do that with your employees, and all of a sudden you do that enough, they start to think that you actually do care about them. Mm-hmm. Um, now, you because don't want to make do. it weird. Yeah. Don't make it weird. Don't make it – like be very non-threatening. Yep. Don't get too personal, but just show that you care about what they care about. And so you develop your scouting report and you do that. You know, John's going to be on Monday this week. Next week, he might be Tuesday. Next the week after, he might be on Wednesday. Um, you know, and you just figure out what you're going to say to him. Yep. And, uh, and you do those informal settings. You also do individual meetings with your people. A lot of, a lot of places do that. But yeah, a lot of places also don't review, do it. And, and often they only do it because they have to. And that's Absolutely. Yeah. That's bad leadership. Uh, 
you don't wait till the end or you don't wait till the annual review to give this laundry list of what you need to do better, what you didn't do well, all that kind of stuff. You need to be addressing that stuff, talking to that person as opposed, instead of evaluating, instead of critiquing, you're coaching. You want to be coaching people all year. You want to be helping them get better all year. If you're a coach, like a basketball coach, all year long until they leave your program, you need to coach them up and make them better. And if and they're an employee, is, as long yeah, as they're an employee. This is the intersection, right? This is the intersection. Imagine how bad your results would be if you only coached your one if you only coached your players individually once a year. How many how, how many bad businesses would they be? Absolutely. And how many businesses, how many businesses know that they're gonna fire this person at the end of the month? But they, you know, they, they don't tell that person. Then they fire them at the end of the month. And you just went through three weeks where you don't do anything with them. Well, you could have been maybe not training them up so they're better, so they don't get fired, but maybe training them up. So keep coaching them so that, so that they make your culture better or, or you know, just ongoing uh, meetings with people. Now, they don't have to be long meetings. It could be uh, 15 minutes at a time. It could be at a lunch break. It could be at yeah. whatever. But your culture of your organization you know, as great of a leader as you might be with the emails you send out, the posters you put on the wall, what goes on in the water cooler, around the water cooler, what goes on in that break room is going to be more yeah. for your, go do more for your culture than anything else. And so, uh, you know, how are you talking with your people? And so I would encourage leaders listening to this, man, start by investing in the lives. And it doesn't have to be a lot of time, just a little bit, just show. But you start now by next year, you know, next year, things are going to be so much different in your company. But most of us, what we do is a year from now, then we look back and say, man, I wish I had started last year. Yep. Yeah. We're not putting those deposits in the old relationship bank account, so to speak. And yeah. Yeah. And then when it comes time to make a withdrawal, you can't insufficient funds. The the last thing I would say about that, I mean, unless you obviously have other follow-up questions. But, no, really. Let's beat this but, horse to death. Let's not talk about anything else today. Okay. I appreciate, <laughs> I appreciate that All permission. Right. Last thing, go. But when I will work with, whether it's sports teams or businesses, almost invariably, the coach will say, fix the team. Or the manager, yeah. supervisor, CEO will say, fix the employees. Get them to be better or whatever. However you want to say it. Because we as positional leaders look at it as it's not my fault. Yep. And that might be true, but it is 100% your responsibility to try to find a solution. And oftentimes that responsibility leads to you evaluating yourself honestly, accurately. And maybe it wasn't my fault, but maybe I didn't do everything I could have to make this better. Maybe I didn't uh, uh, enhance or have, have a, a culture um, that allowed people to, to be empowered or allow people to yeah. make decisions or, or whatever it is. So you have to look at yourself and say, it might not be your fault, but it still is your responsibility to make things better. And sometimes you're part of that solution as well. And for people listening, you'd be amazed at how common that remark is that is made to us, you know, as the consultant that comes in, the coach, the speaker, whatever, fix my team, fix my people, fix this player. And, you know, Similar to what you just said, Jamie, my response is like, here's the thing. If we fix you, most of the time, that player will fix himself. Because it really starts with the leader, as everything does. You know, uh, there's old sayings that uh, are cliche. Sometimes they're crass, but they're true. Like a fish rots from the head down. 
not a pleasant image, but incredibly true. Literally and figuratively, when you look at it, like the team in the corporate sense, rots, a company rots from the head down. A team rots from the head down. Starts with the head coach. Starts with the CEO or the owner. You know, and I think when they fix themselves, a lot of those problems, the quote problem employee or problem player, that tends to fix itself. You know, if we look internally for those answers, what uh, what's the biggest um, uh, I guess hardship that that you've experienced and had to navigate your way through. And the reason I love to ask this is there's no playbook for entrepreneurship. It's not something you major in in college, at least not when we went to school. Uh, it's very much figure it out as you go. Uh, what's a, what's a hardship or challenge that you navigated that uh, maybe you didn't think you could, or you're like you way underestimated what was happening, but now that you've gone through it. Uh, you're really well equipped to help other people navigate something similar, like your yeah. clients, the teams you work with. And you know, I know you work with a lot of high profile teams, NBA, college teams. What happened to you that you had to figure out, fix, you know, navigate a hardship? Yeah. Uh, well, getting fired, um, getting resigned. Uh, you know, I'm 31 years old. I was coach of the year. Um, you know, and uh, we just weren't getting the job done, uh, generally speaking, and, uh, you know, n- not thinking it was my fault, you know, looking at okay. all, well, the school didn't do this, or I didn't get these resources, or this happened, or that happened, you know, essentially finding excuses, the same things that we tell our players not to look for, um, I was doing that. Um, and for about one day, probably about 24 hours, I was pretty bitter when I got fired, uh, but then a, uh, a coaching mentor of mine essentially slapped me in the face, talked some sense into me. And essentially, I mean, for lack of a better phrase, said, you can be bitter or better. You know, I, I, yeah. that's a cliche sort of, but, but I mean, it really is. You have two it's choices. true. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, really, it comes down to, you know, life is pretty nuanced most of the time in a lot of ways. But our choices are we either do what's right or we don't do what's right. It's a pretty lot simple. <laughs> um, it's not easy. Yeah. It's simple. Yeah. Yeah. And so when it comes to our attitude, we're either going to have a, a can do or a can't do. You know, we're yeah. either going to hold a grudge or, hey, what did I learn from this? What can I learn from this? And, and honestly, that has actually helped me in two, uh, two major ways along the way is, is, number one, I've been able to help other people, friends of mine that have gotten fired. Uh, I've been if able you're to in the coaching profession, there's two kinds of coaches. You've either been fired or you're about to be, and you just don't know it yet. It happens uh, to everybody. Yeah. Well, well, shoot. You know, Dwayne Casey was coach of the year for the Toronto Raptors. Okay. I was working with the Raptors, uh, doing some leadership stuff with them in the off season. That next year, he was coach of the year. They were the number one team in the Eastern Conference, and he gets fired after that year being coach of the year in the NBA. You know, so it, yep. it's going to happen at some point to almost everybody. But so I was able to help people going through it, friends of mine, but then I was also able to help uh, a couple coaches when I was an AD who we had mm-hmm. to let go um, for different circumstances. I helped navigate them through that process as well. But it's not just getting fired. I mean, it, fired is just a specific situation, sure. but failure. How yep. do you fail forward? How do you... It's a very public failure that's a blow to the ego. That's why it's kind of unique. Yeah, yeah. but... But, you know, teams, I could be working with a a really successful team. You know, they're not going to lose their scholarship necessarily, or they're not getting kicked off the team, but they're going to have losses. They're going to have tough 
you know, times they might get benched once in a while. How do you handle adversity? How do you handle when things don't go your way? How do you fail forward? You know, how do you, you're going to get knocked down sometimes. You can't, you can't control whether you get knocked down, but it definitely is your choice if you get back up again. And so how do you make the best of bad situations sometimes in life? And so that's not just, I mentioned yeah, getting fired, but it wasn't just getting fired for fired sake. Like that's limiting to who I can help, but yeah. it's, you're, we're all going to go through adversity. We're all going to have tough times in something. And how do you react to that? Because the same way you react to a family member dying, the same way you react to getting stuck, I know this is terrible to say the next thing, but uh, getting stopped for a red light, obviously yeah. those are two totally different things, but, or traffic jams or getting fired or a big loss, how you react to any of those are probably the same way you're going to react to all of them. Uh, yeah. Adversity, you're going to react the same to most adversities based upon who you are um, and, and the habits you developed in your perspective and your mindset. And if you tend to be somebody that's a solution oriented, you know, you're, you're focused on solutions, then you're going to be focused on finding the positive. Yeah. Um, if you're fixated on problems all the time, then you're probably going to look at only the negative. Um, and so, you know, that's something I've been able to help a lot of teams with businesses with is just that mindset, that perspective and how solution do we find solutions. Yeah. Problem solving. Absolutely. Good. Yeah, it's uh, I think it's critical, you know. Um, and as you, you're mentioning all this, like I want I wanted to uh, downshift, talk about your podcast and closing here for a minute. Uh, why is it called Success Is a Choice? Yeah, well, that pretty much goes back to a lot of what we just said. I I am a big believer in personal responsibility. It doesn't mean that I always do everything I'm supposed to do. It doesn't mean I always make the right yeah. choices, but I do believe that most of life is about choices. And most of the time we can make good process choices, process decisions, good mm -hmm. choices, and it'll lead to success or lead to failure if we, if we make bad choices. Um, I believe that. Now, that doesn't always mean if you make this, this, and this choice, that's going to lead to you getting rich. It's going to lead to you being successful in your business or sport. Yeah. It doesn't, because there are some external factors sometimes. But yeah, at the end of the day- everything. But, but at the end of the day, we all have our definition of success. You know, we might not have it, you know, really, you know, written out and put in a poster form on a wall, but we all know what our definition of success is. And, and some people, it's just as simple as, well, if I'm richer than my neighbor, I'm successful. Mm -hmm. um, my success was kind of, or my definition of success kind of comes from the John Wooden um, of it's peace of mind, essentially knowing that you did your best. Um, I'm, I'm paraphrasing it. But self-satisfaction, knowing that you did the best that you were capable of doing. Um, I see lots of teams that uh, don't win a championship, but they were more successful than teams that maybe went far in the tournament because they had no talent and they all came together. They all were, you know, focused on a common goal. Um, same way there's some mom and pops businesses that are very successful because they're doing what they love to do. They're serving people. Um, and they're making enough, you know, to still give to charities or whatever. Um, but no one would look at them as successful, you know, because they're not Google or Microsoft or something like that. Yeah. Or just the local restaurant that's uh, very successful and is a fabric of the community. But, you know, the the chef there doesn't have like a Michelin rating or, you know, whatever right. the uh, the star rating is. But, the, you know, 
And yes. I think that's something people lose sight of because they fall into the comparison trap. Like they don't realize you can do big things in small places. And many yeah. times that means more than being, you know, um, you know, having any kind of element of celebrity. Well, we look at, I mean, Teddy Roosevelt said comparison is the thief of all joy. You know, and we do he got that, that all from the, me. Yeah, he did. Yep. I thought I, I didn't think that could have been an original for him because he he really hasn't done much in history. Yeah, I, uh, I mean, the man in the arena, that whole thing. <laughs> you know, um, he consulted with me on that too. But like, I, I just you know, you take credit for that. Well, well sometimes being a great leader is just knowing. Uh, you know, you don't know it all, but you know where to go. And yeah. so, so I, I, I got to give I've him a lot of credit for knowing. Teddy where to go. Roosevelt obviously, uh, uh, you know, had you on speed dial, flipped open his phone, and and called up to Maine and and found out. But uh, absolutely, but uh, comparison is the thief of all joy, and and we do that all the time. We we compare our reality to everyone else's Facebook, Snapchat, Twitter highlights yep. and and that's just doesn't make sense you know i, I mean no one's and, as beautiful I, as they look on instagram no one's as happy as they appear on facebook no. and no one's as smart as they act on twitter no and i fall into this trap all the time too and i have to kind of snap myself out of it you know uh, somebody else has a podcast guest that i wasn't able to get or something and i'm like oh they're such a better person or how did they get that person and not me or you know i see somebody you know they're speaking to this this group well i never got to speak to that group or you know whatever it is and and unfortunately in social media it's just one upping each other after a while you're just trying to one up but that yeah, hurts and our sometimes the optics of it are very different than the reality of it they're speaking for free they're not getting paid like do you really want that gig no <laughs> yeah just, just do the good. best people don't know the optics and you need to have your own internal scoreboard right yeah but it's hard because i know that's going on and i still struggle with it yep um you know and and so uh you know, it's just where, hey, let's sit down or let's take a minute, let's take a breath and let's let's just look at things logically. Let's look at things. All right, what what is important to me? All right, success, you know, this is my goal. These are my goals. You know, I don't need to have a big mansion. You know, that's fine. What the house we live in or this and that, that's fine. You know, Dave Ramsey talks about, you know, people buy things they don't need with money they don't have to essentially impress people they don't even like. Yep. Um, you know, we tend to do that with the comparison game, but the success is a choice. I wanted to bring uh, all these people together on the show. Uh, it, it's not a good business decision because we don't have, like, I think one week we had a pussycat doll and a pastor, um, you know, so we're all across the board on who we're bringing on the show. So it's right. not just one niche where you're, that's what you're supposed to from a business model standpoint. So you develop this loyal target market um, audience, but we wanted to introduce coaches to business people, to entertainers, to, yep. you know, authors so that they all see that success leaves clues, no matter what industry you're in. Absolutely. People want to find out more about you or they want to get uh, copies of your fabulous books. <laughs> Where do they go? Yeah, probably the easiest way is uh, just to to follow me on Twitter at Coach Beckler, B-E-C-H-L-E-R, uh, at Coach Beckler. And uh, they can find our websites on there and find our books from there as well. But it's CoachBeckler.com or at Coach Beckler on Twitter. 
Awesome, Jamie. I uh, love to close things out asking uh, my guest one final question, and that being, um, what was the one question I forgot to ask you? This is where you get to kind of publicly shame me on my own podcast and browbeat me and critique me. Uh, what was the one question I didn't ask that I should have, or what was the one like that you were expecting me to ask, and I dropped the ball and I didn't ask it? Well, I thought you might ask me who is my favorite guest um, that I've ever had on Success as a Choice podcast. So hang on, hang on. Who's your second favorite guest? That you, I already knew that answer. Who's your second favorite guest you've ever had on Success is a Choice that podcast.com? Yeah, probably. Um, I've, I've been on the show twice now where it's just been a solo effort. So that was probably my favorite one where it was okay. just me. No, but, uh, you know, I've had so many great guests. It's hard to it's hard to pick. Oh boy, here goes the coach answer. You know, <laughs> all my players are important. Everyone contributed to the win. I had so many great uh, assistants uh, the, and staff members over the years. I couldn't possibly pick one. Or, no, yeah. I've had so many great guests, but but two stand out. Not necessarily because they're the most famous or the biggest celebrities, but I uh, had Phil Phil Helmuth, the fifteen-time uh, World Series of Poker champ, and. Uh, uh, he said something to the effect on our show of uh, uh, his wife doesn't realize how special she is. Something I'm paraphrasing, but his wife doesn't realize how special she is because she's married to a guy that even though models and superstars have thrown themselves at him, he's never cheated on her. And I thought that that was a pretty interesting comment. Wow. And then I also had Kevin Harrington, who was on the first five seasons of Shark Tank. Gotcha. And the inventor of the infomercial. And uh, what's obviously that that was a really tough get. Um, and that got canceled like seven different times. And I was thinking that that's never going to happen. He's just yeah. being nice and blowing me off um, that way, you know, and it's never going to happen. And then finally, like the eighth time I called and cool. he actually answered. And uh, yeah, uh, he was on the way to his airport or the airport. And so he talked to me. So that was that was so uh, it was a tie for second. Yeah, a tie for a second. And then obviously my number one guest would be uh, uh, John Brubaker. There you have it, folks. Yep, John there Brubaker. John Brubaker would probably uh, epitomize success as a choice. He, if, if we had a, if I designed a new logo, it would probably have his image on that logo. <laughs> that's exactly right there you have it and there it is folks you heard it straight from the horse's mouth uh in all seriousness i do want to encourage you to subscribe to jamie's podcast it's fabulous you're gonna love it um you had mentioned it's not a good business decision because it's not a niche and i would push back on that and i would say you know what joe rogan's podcast he just got a hundred million dollars from spotify in a niche he has people from all different walks of life and uh, you have very, very similar to him. You have very dynamic, eclectic guests that everyone can learn from, from all walks of life. Um, not just me, but you know, I, I think that it is a good business decision because, uh, you know, it's a great audience and you have, you know, uh, a knack for interviewing people and asking them uh, uncommon questions that, uh you go on a lot of these podcasts and you see the same guests get asked the same questions over and over again. That's not success as a choice. Uh, you get unique people who view the world through a unique lens like Jamie does. And he asks them uh, different questions and some hard hitting ones, which is really what people want to hear. They want to hear the unvarnished truth. Uh, 
And that's why I love the podcast. Check it out. His books are awesome. I was just holding them up earlier. Uh, my two favorites are The Bus Trip and Building Champions A through Z. There's also the Leadership Playbook, which is fabulous. Um, you know, these are, uh, these are good gifts to give as graduation presents, high school or, you know, college. doesn't matter if you're moving on to college or if you're leaving college, moving on to the real world. Um, you know, we've mentioned this a number of times, success leaves clues. And there's such an intersection between education, athletics, and the business world. Uh, it's, it's a great investment and it's one that'll, uh, pay dividends. If you pick up copies of his books, I know I have, I've got a stack of them sitting on my shelf up there that uh, I pass out to people. Um, you know, when I find somebody like, you know what, this Jamie's book would be perfect for this person, this coach. So I'd encourage you to do the same. Check it out. JamieBeckler.com successeschoicepodcast.com. Jamie, thanks for coming on, buddy. Yeah, I appreciate it, Coach. It was fun to be on the Coach Bruce Show. Thanks a lot for having me. Always a pleasure. Thanks for listening to the Coach Bruce Show. If you're not currently subscribed to the podcast, sign up now on iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher. And for more information to turn your potential into performance, head on over to CoachBrew.com now.